In this episode, we're going to explore ways for saving your deposit faster. Let's face it, if you can avoid having to save for the best part of a decade, it's worth doing whatever you can. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today, we're talking about ways that you can speed up saving for your home deposit. Now, Veronica, I have been entertaining you all. For those who watch the episodes, I've been entertaining you all with um, interesting homes from around the world. Uh, Hopefully, you can see um, where we are at the moment. We're actually in front of the Cube House in the Netherlands. I am enjoying- Is that one house or a series of houses? It's a series of houses. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, it's quite a fascinating one. And the rooms are- Actually, I apologise. It is a house, and each of those cubes are a room. Ooh, and they're all <laughs> on angles. For anyone who's not actually watching this, every room Odd is angles. Oh, yeah. I mean, like yeah. you'd be like, I don't know how you'd lie in bed. You'd be sort of in the bottom corner of the room, wouldn't you? Pretty you... much. I've seen some photos internally, and it it is disturbing to say the least. Yuck. <laughs> okay. Well, as architecture gone crazy. <laughs> All right. Now, so it's a big topic of the moment, housing affordability, and the biggest hurdle facing first-home buyers is finding their deposit. Mm. And in an ideal world, you know, you need to save 20% plus purchasing costs, but that's a huge ask. Yeah, it is. You could consider saving 10% plus costs if you're prepared to pay lenders' mortgage insurance. And many mortgage brokers say there's even a sweet spot at 12%. And we've done the calculations on this. It is is the unicorn. <laughs> yes. So that's when you pay a little bit of mortgage insurance, uh, but you don't have to spend all that extra time saving up that extra 8%. Mm. Now, mm. of course, if you qualify for the federal government's deposit guarantee scheme, then uh, you only need to save up 5%. But there's been, well, there were originally 10%, sorry, 10,000 uh, spots in that yeah. per year. Now it's been up to 20,000. Or- and that's with specific lenders too, Veronica. Mm. So it's not every financial institution that can give you, can access and, and secure you a place with that scheme. Yep. 
And recently in the budget in 2021, there was the announcement of a 2% deposit if you qualify for what's called the family home guarantee as a single parent. Now, we note that there are only 10,000 places over four years for that one. And I would imagine not many single parents are going to be able to afford to repay the mortgage because you're borrowing 98% plus costs, right? Yeah, but there's limitations on both of those schemes and it's really important to do your research and know what those limitations are. There's price limitations and they're different in capital cities versus regional locations Um, and particularly for the family home guarantee, it's quite a low price um, Mm. that you have to pay. So you want to be really careful that either of those schemes aren't limiting you. Uh, Deposit guarantee scheme doesn't limit you by price, but the family home guarantee does yep it does they've all got sort of caps and restrictions and they also are subject to change oh you don't have to buy new you don't yes the new there was something we liked about that one and you don't have to buy new we do like that yes (laughs) there's so many you know things that, that sit around these things it's important to know them and not just go for them because they sound good on paper and so whether you, you know, saving 2% or 20% or anywhere in between, um, you are going to have to save a deposit, right? The big qualifier, and the thing that's really important here is that even if you can save the deposit, so even if you get money gifted to you or, or you know, you get those shortcuts to somehow get there faster, you do need income and that is taxable income. Uh, in order to be able to borrow money for the rest of the purchase of the property. Mm. So income is very, very important. Whilst we talk about the biggest hurdle is saving that deposit, yes, that's Mm. true, you know, then you go through the process of actually getting finance and and um, and you need income to support a loan. So I don't I don't want to sort of say that the only thing you have to worry about here is saving up the money. But yeah, big uh, big conversation to have with a mortgage broker because not all income is treated equally either. So Very true. a salary um, is treated differently to commission, differently to bonuses. Um, some institutions will take those sorts of bonuses and commissions into account. Others won't. Some will discount them. Some will extrapolate over a number of years. So the policies of the different financial institutions are going to change. So what your income is isn't just what your last taxable uh, tax return says. Sometimes they look further back if there are parts of your income that aren't fixed. And here's a little trap for your old trick uh, in that some people might be tempted to do a bit of under-the-table work, cash-in-hand work in order to help them save up or perhaps pay their living expenses while they're saving. But when it comes to actually getting the loan approved, none of that money counts. So, yes, of course, it counts in terms of having a deposit, but it won't help your borrowing capacity. But so... How do you come up with such a large amount of money? So for a $650,000 property, for instance, if you're borrowing, if you're going to save up 20% deposit plus cost, you need to save up $165,000. It's a big whack of money. It's a lot. That's a lot. And notice that we're not mentioning stamp duty rebates that you get in some states mm. for buying brand new property. Um, we're not fans of buying brand new or off the plan. And often when whatever you save in that stamp duty is offset by the premium that you pay for a new build. So just so as an true. aside. That's very important. Now, some very boring advice. And notice how I get to say this bit. <laughs> You're so good at the boring <laughs> advice. <laughs> Oh, the voice of reason. Well, there is no way to sugarcoat this. You're going to have to stop spending and start saving. Wow. Mm-hmm. How easy Groundbreaking. this is going to be will depend on your temperament and earning capacity. Of course, the best way is 
to never acquire a spending habit in the first place. Well, you know, it's a little bit hard. There's sales. When something's on sale, you really need Come it. Come on, Do you be really frugal. Need it? Frugal. Frugal is good. <laughs> now, the minute you get your first pay packet, discipline yourself to save. You might choose that to be 10%. You might choose it to be 15%. A good number to try and focus on is 20%. So you never get used to having it. Pay your, it's called paying yourself first. It's called saving or investing. What you're doing is investing in a deposit to buy property. It's paying yourself first before all those other things that you might want to spend your money on. And there are loads of budgeting tools out there as well. And maybe we need to get an expert on for a future episode in terms of, you know, how to actually set up your savings and and, uh, accounts and all the rest of it. Mm. Now, there is a little bit of a leg up, another leg up that the government gives first home buyers, which, you know, we think is a good thing. And it's not it's it's not relying on you buying brand new. So any government assistance that relies on you having to buy brand new or off the plan, we do not think is a good thing, but this is a good thing. And that's the first home super saver scheme. Now, the biggest benefit if you utilize this scheme is that you're saving not quite pre-tax dollars, but sort of almost pre-tax dollars. Mm. So instead of paying, if your taxable income is say 22%, you're going to, um, that means for every dollar you earn, you pay 22 cents in tax. Instead, you can actually just pay 15 cents in tax on every dollar and contribute that into your super rather than putting into a bank account to save up for your first home, right? So, so let's over- clarify, this isn't the superannuation guarantee that your employer pays. Mm, it's over this, that. This is contributions that you will make over and above the minimum that your employer makes on your behalf. Um, and, and it's really just a way of saving money in a tax-effective environment. Absolutely. So You can't take out any of that other superannuation. When you no. go, you can't use that as a contribution to your deposit. It's only the money that you put in over and above um, 10%. the statutory amount. Which is currently now 10%. And sort of currently, the amount that you can save in your super and then draw back down on is $30,000. But that has been promised to change in the 2021 budget. It's not yet legislated, though. So as of uh, July 1st, 2022, it's been promised that you're going to be able to save $50,000 in there. And so if you saved that entire $50,000, and you, your tax was at 22%, you would make a saving of $3,500 over that period of time it took you to save that money. So, and that's, that's you know, non-insignificant. And it's mm. certainly, um, you know, that goes straight to your bottom line in terms of your, your deposit bottom line. And obviously, if you're in a higher tax bracket, you, your savings are higher than that. Mm, yeah. So, and, and not only that, so, so if you're in a higher tax bracket, I think you can accumulate this that's each year. You can make those contributions, or is it fifteen thousand per year over two years? No, no, it's a total amount that you can save and then redraw in that in this sort of facility. There are some rules around this, and so there's a um, lot of rules around yeah, this. Yeah, you need to make yeah, sure get a good accountant on board. Mm. Yep, yep. Um, so there are a lot of rules in terms of when you draw down and what you've got access to, et cetera, et cetera. But the maximum currently is thirty thousand that you could pay extra into your super and then withdraw. And that will go up to 50000 There's no, I don't think there's a time limit, although you've got a maximum amounts of contributions you can make every year into your super. Yes. So there's lots of caps and lots of stuff like that, but most people can't save $50,000 in a year. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's, true. it's true. But here are some, like we have spoken to a lot 
of first home buyers over the years. And recently we spoke to some very motivated young um, buyers, all of whom bought their property before the age of 25. Now that's quite an achievement. It is. It does not mean that if you haven't bought a property by 25, you can't then buy a property. Like you can actually buy your first property in your 40s. Yep. Just got to be really careful. You haven't got any, you haven't got any room for error by then. So we asked them how they managed to get onto the property ladder. How did they save that deposit? Now they shared some creative ideas, some of which you would have heard. Um, <laughs> and, and we've also added some pragmatic ones to the list. So number one, um, I don't think you and I ever did this, Veronica, but mm. it is it is a common strategy and that is to move them with your parents. Yeah. If you save $400 a week on rent, that's over $20,000 per annum. You're nearly halfway there to that 50000 yeah. It's, you know, it's worth sucking it up with the oldies for a little bit, isn't it, just to get 20 grand? <laughs> as long as you have nice parents. They might pay you, charge your board, and if they charge your board, it's the same amount of money, then don't worry about it. Don't just worry about free. it. <laughs> <laughs> you got to think about your sanity at the same time, but then yeah. mum might cook your dinner, so, you know, win-win. <laughs> now, you can give up your morning coffee. Now, there, there's been a bit of a movement of people buying espresso machines and making coffee at home. That that still yeah. does cost. You know, we do that and it's still $35 a, a bag of beans. But And you've got to buy all the milk and et cetera, et cetera. But if you gave up your morning latte, one a day adds up to over $1,400 a year. Yep. So, so far you've, you've saved $21,400 just with two steps. Yes. Pack your lunch and drink tap water. Well, you know, I'd go filter water, but I get what you're saying. Uh, a conservative saving of $10 a day equates to $2,300 per year, taking out the annual and public holidays in which you may choose to splurge. Uh, so, so, so far we're up to $23,700. That's it. At the there. end of every day, here's a cool one. At the end of every day, put all of your coins and $5 notes calculator. in the jar. Now, to be honest, this suggestion, to be honest, I think was made by somebody who saved their deposit pre-COVID because there's not as many coins yeah. and notes out there these days. It's yeah, all tap true. and go. But one twenty something told me that she saved over $100 a month in this way. So basically that was just all coins and $5 notes in a jar and that she saved 1200 bucks over 12 months just doing that. I remember my, my ex-husband used to put all of his coins in a jar and I think we took $600 to the bank um, over just a couple of months period. So it's just coins left over from paying for something. But as you say, there's a lot less cash in circulation now. People are use, using a, a lot more of the tap and go. So, you know, just those four tips come to $24,900. Mm. A little bit of discipline, a little bit of giving giving up to get to um, a, a better place. And, and certainly if you are also doing that 20% pay yourself first um, process of putting 20% of your income away, then depending on your income, you, you could be moving forward at a pretty rapid pace. So, you know, and that's nearly 25 grand a year with mm. really minor changes to your lifestyle. But it's still going to take you six and a half years to get save enough for a uh, $650,000 property and prices are rising. So here's a few other ideas. You could save a lot of money by getting rid of your car. Mm. Various motoring associations cal uh, calculate the annual running costs at over $6,000 for even the smallest micro class. So rego, insurance for a basic car will probably set you back around $1,500 a year. 
there's a good saving. I mean, you've got to, you've still got to get around. You've still got to pay for public transport. But what else could you do? Well, you, there's car next door. There's all sorts of these sort of car sharing, you know. Um, oh, I'm going to go get. There's another one. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, there are so many ways that you could actually spend a lot less on a vehicle. Plus, if you sold your car, then whatever money you get for that, it can stick straight into your savings account as well. Yep. So that's a one-off hit, uh, a bonus, I guess, and also just those annual running costs. Um, they they creep up, you know. And mm. um, so, yeah, so I'm sure that you could pay a lot less by using public transport and using those more on-demand type um, car sharing apps and car sharing or get on those little stupid bikes that you see everywhere. Um, They'd be really careful. <laughs> and uh, e-scooters e are a big one in Brisbane at the moment. And in the in the course of three days, I've had two friends have accidents and end up battered and bruised from coming Ooh. off those e-scooters. <coughs> Excuse me. And there was a report in the paper the other day of, of um, a, a young man um, passing away after hitting a pole on one. So got it. Yeah, just a disclaimer there. Be careful about what sort of other alternate transport you're using. Safe. Be safe. Safe, right. Be safe, yeah. So tell us about this. I don't know know a lot about Car Next Door. What's that Mm. idea, Veronica? See, it's, you know, those Queenslanders, they're just too much. Maybe these tips won't work for someone who lives in Brisbane because you've got too too much ground to cover. You don't have very good public transport up there, do you? Oh, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, Karnik, basically if you really can't do without your wheels, perhaps you could actually join a neighbour-to-neighbour car share scheme yourself. So you could actually put your car out there to be made available for other people to to rent and, and, and share. So according to Car Next Door, which is one of these ride, or it's not a ride share, it's a car share mm. app, you right. could make between two and a half grand and 10,000 profit per year depending on your vehicle and how often you make it available. So some other person drives your vehicle when you're not using it, yeah. you charge them a fee and mm. suddenly, ching there's money going into the bank. Ooh. It's the gig economy. And so if you've got so, something you can't sell and you can't do without, then maybe when you're not using it, you could someone else could use it. So the voice of reason and the risk management in me comes back and says, don't forget to check with your insurer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. These are just ideas. You need to research them. You need to research (laughs) these. Yeah, these are just ideas. So another thing you could do is partner up with a sibling or a trusted friend and look for the option of a more affordable investment property. Just make sure that you enter into a co-ownership agreement before you make any kind of commitments and Mm. that should always include exit strategies. So what happens if... Yes. Someone loses a job, gets married, one wants to exit, the other one doesn't. All of these things, if you put them in a co-ownership agreement up front, legally binding, then everybody knows what's going to happen in every scenario. And there are great lawyers out there who have these, you know, pretty much on tap that you can you can get drawn up. I think cannot we need stress to do, enough how important that is. Absolutely. I think we need to do an episode on co on uh, co-ownership agreements. So stay put tuned. Put it on the list. Stay tuned. And if you're an expert in co-ownership agreements, reach out. because, Or if you have questions, because we love Mm. to have direct questions that we can weave into the episodes so that we're actually answering things that you want to hear about. Absolutely. You could beg your parents for an advance on your inheritance. (laughs) And I I actually, and once again, you need agreements for this too, because they can lead to all sorts of sibling (laughs) rivalry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do know people who've done this and they've actually 
pre-gifted their inheritance and so those that haven't drawn under or didn't need it they sort of they just wait till the parents die and everyone else is actually it's, it's written into the will it's written and um it's all very very open and transparent but you know why not why not try but what else are they waiting for <laughs> <laughs> they want to help you of course they do are you happy? No, I don't know. Sell it to them. Um, and, of course, they have to have the access to that money. That's Do true. not let your parents go into debt to give no. you part of your inheritance Do not. Or, or a reverse mortgage. So, uh, you know, disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Mm. Uh, you could sell stuff, Veronica. Now, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who absolutely love getting onto Marketplace and selling anything they possibly can. Um, when you're when you're moving, you know, if you're moving between rentals or anything, you've got a whole lot of stuff, great opportunity to sell down, um, make a little bit of money, pop that into, into your deposit account. Uh, probably not a good idea to sell your grandmother or your sibling or your dog. You know, you might want to hold on to those things for a little bit longer, but there might be some, some um, material objects that you could make some money out of. Absolutely. And get a side hustle. You know, the one thing about the gig economy, there's so many different ways you might be able to earn a, a few extra bucks. And so um, some people set up, you know, little businesses, yeah. all sorts of creative things, you know, particularly looking at if you had a real hobby that you're real passionate about and maybe that there's a bit of a market in that. Um, you know, I've I've spoken to a lot of first home buyers, not just first home buyers, but just people generally. In fact, COVID and lockdown, that's actually led to a lot of people actually setting up a little Getting side really hustle. really creative. Yeah. In fact, Home Bar Academy in a way is a side hustle, isn't it? We set it up in the first lockdown. <laughs> it was a little bit earlier. Was, we got her off the ground. Uh, we started doing the Facebook Lives in the first lockdown. We did do we the Facebook did. Lives. Yes, that's true. We had laid the foundations and then we got into it because more we than were homebound. Yes, it is. But it um, well. What I'd love, what I'd love though, is if you if you're on Facebook and get onto the Home Buyer Academy page, and if you've got some more creative ideas on how you have saved extra money for your deposit, then share them because I think yeah. this is a really cool. You know, I love it. People's creative ideas, and particularly on the side hustle thing. What have you been doing? What have you done to actually generate some extra income that hasn't imp- impacted your permanent job? Because often side hustles aren't going to be looked at by a bank as being, you know, full-time income. If if a side hustle is a, a business that you've set up, you have to have at least two years of full trading records and, and tax returns. Um, so don't bank on that being the way that you'll get a loan, but it could. It, it's about helping you to save your deposit quicker. Absolutely. Now, here's another way to set yourself a savings target. Um Work out the monthly repayments of your expected loan at say seven percent interest. I mean, which there's is very a, high at the moment. It's you know, we're very in, high. Twenty twenty one and interest rates are low, but it's really, really good to have a buffer. Maybe you can, yeah. Maybe you could do it five percent, but pick pick a percentage that is well over the sort of two percent that you're probably going to be able to get, or something like that. Mm. Um, because also, you, interest rates will rise one day. Yep. You know, and I think it's important for us all to know that as well. And then open a specific bank account and save that money every month without fail. Because when you buy a property, you're going to have to make monthly repayments. Interest rates won't be low forever. And it's important that you budget accordingly. So if you can't afford to save that now, minus your rent, if you really can't move back in with mum and dad, then you potentially can't afford to service a loan if interest rates go up. So it's... um. 
Very, very important. So like if you were going to borrow $400,000, for instance, your payments at 7% interest will be almost $32,000 over a year. And, you know, it's a little bit sobering because, of course, people know that prices are rising. People know you've got to save such a lot of money in order to be able to get into the market. Then you think, oh, my God, but what if interest rates don't stay low forever? Oh, my God. So I think that that's a good discipline. Um, to have and certainly to be aware of as well because it's something that is probably going to happen at some keep point in mind yeah but 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 it's a good discipline to start saving that money keep in mind some financial institutions if you're paying rent some financial institutions will actually take the rent that you're paying into mm. account so it's almost like you've been showing a, an ability to pay that over time um, and some won't so a good mortgage broker will help you understand that now while you're at it cut up your credit cards yeah get rid of them just at the very least, keep one card, but re- reduce the limit. Get it quite low, $500. Do you need any more than that? You should be paying your credit cards off every month before they're due, before you, you actually incur any interest. Mm. But but keep it for emergencies. Or if you are disciplined enough and you have educated yourself very well in this space, you may use it to pay certain things, but make sure you're paying it off at the end of the month. So a financial institution is going to look at your credit card expenditure. They're going to look at your savings accounts. They're going to look at accounts with other institutions. They have an ability to access all of this information now. So you can't hide any of these things and nor should Mm. you. You should be very, very open about them with the financial, with the broker and the financial institution. But a big tip that we got from, um, I think Chris Bates gave it to us, was if you've got a credit card with, say, a $10,000 limit, but you always pay it off in time and you hardly spend any money on it, your borrowing capacity is actually reduced because you have a $20,000 limit. It's not the amount that's owed on the credit card that the the bank's going to look at. It's the limit. So Mm. getting those limits down is actually more important than how much you spend on it every month. Absolutely. Now, one last one, a little bit controversial, don't get married. (laughs) You know, recently I met a couple who gave up on their dreams of home ownership when they decided to spend $60,000 on a wedding. It's like, call me a cynic, but given that almost 50% of marriages end up in divorce in this country, your money will be way better used for a deposit on a home, particularly an A-grade asset that you can then sell when you get divorced. If you must get married, do it in your parents' backyard and get everyone oh, to bring a plate. <laughs> Look, some of us still believe in love. It is possible to get married and stay married. You and I haven't had that experience. No, we haven't managed it. But but the people Don't blow do. a lot of money on the wedding. Just do oh, it that's cheap. The, that's the message, right? <laughs> so if you're looking to, and don't go and buy a car, these things will affect your, your ability to to save your deposit that's your deposit that's part of your deposit there um even getting a lease on a vehicle will affect your borrowing capacity so you've got to be really careful about what you're spending money on in the in the at least 12 months leading up to when you're actually going to buy a property so ignore veronica's advice there about marriage she's not a marriage advisor she's a property advisor (laughs) i'm definitely not a relationship advisor no (laughs) but i've got plenty of experience (laughs) 
<laughs> a word of warning. Do not risk your savings. It might be tempting to think of Bitcoin or the share market as a great place to park that money while you're saving. But the problem is that's putting it at risk. Yeah. The bank is boring, but it's safe. Absolutely. Now, we do have a little bit of good news, though. A number of studies have been done recently showing that loan repayments are actually easier to manage than they were for your parents. So once you get over that deposit hurdle, you might actually find things ease up a bit once you are the homeowner and mortgage payer. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff. 